Hi, this is John, by the way, and as you know, I do a longer one with Hank Smith called Follow Him, and we interviewed Robert Millet, Dr. Robert Millet for John chapters 2, 3, and 4. Today, I'm just going to give you some extra things that I find interesting in these chapters. First of all, John 2 is where we get the miracle at the wedding at Cana, and John 3 is where Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again. I like this introductory paragraph in the manual. At a marriage feast in Cana, Christ changed water into wine, an event John called the beginning of miracles. That's true in more than one sense. While this is the first miracle Jesus performed publicly, it can also symbolize another miraculous beginning, the process of our hearts being transformed as we become ever more like our Savior. The miracle of a lifetime begins with the decision to follow Jesus Christ, to change and live a better life through Him. This miracle can be so life-changing that being born again is one of the best ways to describe it. But rebirth is just the beginning of the path to discipleship. Christ's words to the Samaritan woman at the well remind us that if we continue on this path, eventually the gospel will become a well of water inside us, springing up unto everlasting life. So John 2, water to wine. John 3, you must be born again, born of water and of the Spirit. And John 4, you can have a well of water in you. You notice that each of these chapters has something about water. I wanted to start with, in John chapter 2, it says the first four words of John chapter 2, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, I'm going to read from Verse by Verse, The Four Gospels by D. Kelly Ogden and Andrew C. Skinner. I'm on page 107. There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, which happened on the third day, the Greek text, or on the third day of the week, JST, John 2.1. So begins the story of Jesus' first recorded miracle performed at a wedding feast in Cana. John, the writer of the fourth gospel, may have pointed to an ancient Jewish tradition, which is to perform weddings on Tuesday, the third day of the week, Sunday being the first. This tradition is based on Genesis 1, 9-13, where the word good is used twice for the third day of creation, instead of once only for the other days. Accordingly, important matters like weddings were decided, settled, or celebrated on the third day of the week, to call for a double blessing from God. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? So Jewish weddings are often held on Tuesdays because in the creation story, Tuesday, the third day is pronounced good twice. The creation is pronounced good. And that's kind of a, a fun tradition that if we want our marriage to be pronounced good, let's get married on a Tuesday to give us that, that best chance. It's kind of fun to remember For me and for my wife, long before I knew about this tradition, that we got married on a Tuesday. (laughs) So Tuesday is a twice-blessed day, and that just kind of makes sense when you start out and you read the, the third day. The third day there was a marriage in Cana. Now, we all know the story. I want to look at verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. There's a lot of detail in there. There were set there six water pots, first of all, the number six, of stone, not of, not of clay, not pottery, 
but stone that's hollowed out, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, there's a law of Moses practice or tradition, and then how big they were, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now, I want to quote from The Lost Language of Symbolism by Dr. Alonzo L. Gaskill down at BYU. He said, central to the story are six stone jars traditionally used for ceremonial washings of the law of Moses. The difference in quality and desirability between the old wine provided by the host of the wedding and the new wine which Jesus made has been compared to the two laws, the law of Moses being less desirable than the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The six pots have frequently been compared to the imperfection of the law of Moses, which would shortly be fulfilled in Christ, whose law is more desirable. This Judaic water becomes wine. In place of the water of Judaism, Jesus now offers wine, the wine of the age of salvation. Indeed, the old has been transformed into the new, so that there is no longer any place for the old. So that is an interesting way to look at this. The waters turned to wine. The water was the water pots of stone, and it was equated with the law of Moses since that was what it was for. The water was kept in these stone pots for purifying of the Jews, perhaps of washing feet when they were to enter into a house or something like that. Now, continuing from the Kelly Ogden and Andrew Skinner commentary, water pots in this case were also used for wine. A firkin was approximately nine gallons, so the six pots could have contained between 100 and 150 gallons, which would have supplied a large wedding celebration. Though pots were often made of clay, they were also made of stone. A pot made from porous clay or limestone allowed for evaporation, which cooled the liquid contents. Several stone pots from the Roman period are on permanent display in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. Vessels made from native stone were ceremonially clean and were used for holding water that was likewise ritually clean for use in washings and purifyings, for example, of hands and feet of guests. In fact, according to Jewish purification laws, stone vessels had special status because they could not become ritually impure. So there we go again for the difference and the reason John includes that detail of water pots of stone rather, rather than of, of clay. The other detail in there that is interesting is the number six. If you are listening to this, it sounds like you have a Our Turtle House membership. You have access to a talk that I gave called Scriptural Countdown, where I talked about number symbols in the scriptures. And if you've listened to that, you know that the number six is just short of the number seven. Seven is wholeness, completeness, perfection. Six is just short. So I like this idea that six, ooh, just short of seven. Water pots, it was water, not, not wine, and Jesus replaces that. So we have this wonderful water-to-wine story. Now, it, perhaps symbolizing going from the law of Moses to the higher, greater law of the gospel. The miracle that Moses performed to demonstrate to Israel and Pharaoh, to the house of Israel and the Pharaoh, that he was the deliverer, interestingly, was he turned water to blood. Okay, so we're going back to Moses. And Moses is such a strong type of Christ in so many details. 
And here's just another one. Jesus turned water into Moses, turned the Nile into blood, water to wine. We have used wine in the early days of the church for the sacrament to to symbolize Jesus' blood. And Jesus turns water into wine, perhaps representing his blood, so that we might have life and have it more abundantly, you might say, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. So there's a lot to unpack in there, and I think that's really really interesting and kind of kind of a hidden in plain sight thing more than meets the eye that is there. Another thing I wanted to look at in this whole story of Nicodemus is this whole idea of being born again and and what that means exactly. We know we can point to the day that we were baptized, but being born again is a different thing. Elder D. Todd Christofferson said, You may ask, why doesn't this mighty change happen more quickly with me? You should remember the remarkable examples of King Benjamin's people, Alma, some others in Scripture are just that, remarkable and not typical. For most of us, the changes are more gradual and occur over time. Being born again, unlike our physical birth, is more a process than an event. And engaging in that process is the central purpose of mortality. Okay, that's the end of the quote from Elder D. Todd Christofferson in a talk called Born Again in your May 2008 Ensign, which would be, you know, the April 2008 General Conference. And I'm really grateful for that because baptism is an event, but being born again is a process. And when I teach my doctrines and teachings of the Book of Mormon class, I like to have an introductory slide that says, are baptized in being born again the same thing? And this after reading verse after verse, ye must be born again, using that word must, like it's an absolute requirement. And if we are not sure what being born again is, that's a problem. We've, we probably ought to figure that out because so many verses say, as does John 3, 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. We better know what that is. And the statements that I find from modern prophets are, baptism is an event, which you can point to the day and time, in the process of being born again, which happens over time. It's interesting to see that in the book of Alma, when Alma is talking to the Nephites, Alma leaves his post as chief judge to go and talk to his own people while the sons of Mosiah are on a mission to the Lamanites. And he says things like this from Alma chapter 5, verse 14. And now behold, I ask of you, my brethren of the church. Now let's stop for a second. If you are of the church, then you've been baptized, right? That's part of signifying that you have come into the fold of, of God, as we learn in Mosiah chapter 18. So back to Alma 5, 14. Now behold, I ask of you, my brethren of the church, have ye spiritually been born of God? So they're, they've been baptized, but have they been born again? And that's what helps me see baptism is an event, being born again is a process. Another place where we learn this from Elder David A. Bednar in a talk he gave in April 2007 General Conference, you might remember that talk he talked about his mother making pickles and how they were soaked in, in a brine. This is another paragraph from that talk. 
We begin the process of being born again through exercising faith in Christ, repenting of our sins, and being baptized by immersion for the remission of sins by one having priesthood authority. After we come out of the waters of baptism, our souls need to be continuously immersed in and saturated with the truth and the light of the Savior's gospel. Sporadic and shallow dipping in the doctrine of Christ and partial participation in His restored church cannot produce the spiritual transformation that enables us to walk in a newness of life. Rather, fidelity to covenants, constancy of commitment, and offering our whole soul unto God are required if we are to receive the blessings of eternity. Total immersion in and saturation with the Savior's gospel are essential steps in the process of being born again. Now, here's a much older quotation, Elder Bruce R. McConkie, 1976, being born again is a gradual thing, except in a few isolated instances that are so miraculous they get written up in the scriptures. As far as the generality of the members of the church are concerned, we are born again by degrees. We are born again to added light and added knowledge and added desires for righteousness as we keep the commandments. I'm thankful for that quote because the scriptures are exceptional cases, not typical cases. Now, what about the idea then of being saved? Elder Dallin H. Oaks, in your April 1998 General Conference, gave a talk called, Have You Been Saved? And we usually, as Latter-day Saints, are hesitant to say yes, because we know part of that is staying on the covenant path, enduring to the end. But listen to what Elder Oaks said. I've suggested, quote, I have suggested the short answer to the question of whether a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been saved or born again must be a fervent yes. Our covenant relationship with our Savior puts us in that saved or born again condition meant by those who ask this question. Once again, that's your May 98 Ensign, page 55 or April 98 General Conference. I appreciate these. This helps a lot. I like what Dr. Stephen Robinson, author of Believing Christ, said. The question is not, are we going to make it? The question is, do we want to stay? We're already on the covenant path. We are in the kingdom of God on earth because we have been baptized, and we're trying to continue on that path. So, as Elder Oak said, yeah, we've, we've been saved. We're saved. We're in that saved condition because of our covenant relationship with Christ. And now, as Brother Stephen Robinson said, the question isn't, am I going to make it? The question is, do I want to stay? Do I want to stay on the covenant path? So, I really appreciate these ideas that help me make sense of, oh, okay, I am striving for the process of being born again. The beginning of that process, the event, was being baptized. Now, the last thing that John chapter 4 talks about, this woman at the well, I just like the fact that Jesus said in John chapter 4 verse 14, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And that's a metaphor that as a kid, because I took things too literally, sounded like kind of painful. I'm going to have a well inside of me. Is it big? Is it brick? You know, how does that work? 
Well, it just means that source of living water will come from inside you, which is a a wonderful metaphor. That's how you can never thirst, because the well is metaphorically in you. It's kind of something that's easier to listen to than to try to imagine. The idea of having a well in you as a source of living water, one of Jesus' nicknames, reminds me of the tree of life, which Lehi and Nephi taught us about in 1 Nephi, like 8 through 15. But then Alma and Amulek taught us about it too when they spoke to the Azormites. This is Alma 33, verse 23. Now, my brethren, I desire that ye shall plant this word in your hearts, the word is Christ, and as it beginneth to swell, even so nourish it by your faith. And behold, it will become a tree springing up in you unto everlasting life. So you can have a well in you and a tree in you (laughs) as a source of living water and as a source of everlasting life. And both of those things represent Christ. So I am intrigued with John 2, water to wine, John 3, be born of water, born of the Spirit, John 4, you can have a well of water, of living water in you and springing up to everlasting life. I hope these ideas are helpful in your study of John 2, 3, and 4, and we'll see you next time. 